Hope you all are doing well. We are starting a, uh, a new series this, this week uh, for the next six weeks. Um, as you can guess, it's called Remedy Church Member. Uh, if, if you're here for the very first time or you're here every week, we want you to look below your feet right now and you should see one of these at your feet. We want you to take it with you. And you'll be able to engage with us over the content we're going to have for the next six weeks. You don't even have to take one like per couple. Like everybody should be able to take one and it's just yours. Um, You're going to need this over the next six weeks. You're going to take this to community group with you over the next six weeks. Um, And you'll read this every, you know, every week and you'll, you'll be ahead of the game. So uh, basically there's six chapters in here and we're going to be using those six chapters as the basis for the content that we're going to be talking about here in the service every Sunday. So um, obviously I'm doing chapter one today, but uh, what we're not going to do is take this book and preach this book because it's not the Bible. So um, we're actually going to take this book right here and preach this book. So that's what we're going to do every week. But each chapter has a kind of a special message of it. And then we're going to go to, to this and we're going to look at that in here every week. So for the next six weeks, we're going to be using that. So go ahead and take one of those. Um, it's yours to keep. Bring it with you to community group, write notes, etc. But we're going to be uh, doing this for the next, as I said, six weeks. Um, a couple other things to, to get started. Um, the, uh, the book here, although, <clears throat> although the principles are... Um, lined out, and in your community groups, you're probably going to talk about those things each week. Uh, what we're going to do, the way we're going to do it, is we're going to pick a text, which the, the chapter kind of talks about, and really do our best to exposit that text, because we believe that the Bible is what you need to hear every single week. So there will be some weeks where maybe what you're reading in this isn't going to line up exactly with this, but we still want you to take this and read it. Here's the deal. Um, each chapter is about eight pages, um, sometimes eight and a half. I did a, a non-scientific test this week, and it took me about 50 seconds to read a page. So what we're asking then, and this, I don't think this is asking too much, for about eight minutes every week, for, and maybe eight and a half, maybe eight and a half, for you to take this and read this every week, just a chapter a week right before you go to community group, um, or you know, right when you get home from church, or, or whatever you want to do. So if you could, for the next six weeks, give us Eight minutes a week, which is not too, not too much, I don't think. Uh, right before you go to bed, uh, take this and read the chapter of that week. So you don't have to read it all at once. You can just read one chapter every single week. Um, and that, that was the other thing I needed to cover. Is just, uh, it's very easy reading. Very easy reading. It's a small little book. It looks like it's uh, a lot because it's over 50 pages. And maybe, maybe for some of y'all that seems daunting. But it's really not because they're really small. Um, and... Uh, you can read a page in about, um, about 50 seconds, and it's just eight pages per week. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians. Uh, actually, this is a little bit different for me as well, because normally I like to pick you know, a set of verses, 12 to 15 verses. That's about as much as I can do in my length of time. And here we're going to actually look at three chapters, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So we're going to have to kind of look at it in a broad kind of stroke. Uh, and I, I think I can do that, but um, we'll see, but let me pray first and then we'll, we'll jump in. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. God, I pray that uh, as we look at your word, that you would use your word to speak to us. God, that uh, you would move me really out of the way. I trust just so deeply in your word to do its work. And so I know that um, I don't have to be necessarily eloquent uh, 
but if I can rightly preach your word and expose it and say what it says, that the Spirit can come and use it or really anything and drive it down deep into our souls. So God, I pray that you would um, speak to me and change me and cause me to want to walk in your ways and then all my friends here as well, God. I pray that you would do that for all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're uh, a church that's, that's five years, going on six years old. Uh, why would I, right now, do a sermon series, six weeks, in the fall, no doubt, because, or no less, because the fall is usually the busy time. Like, you try to put your, your most important series in the fall and right there uh, between January and Easter. Those are really the most important sermon series that, that a church does. Why would I put... I am a church member in what would seemingly be one of the most important times, especially now that we're six years old. We've got people coming in as members, etc. Um, because uh, you may be a church member already, or maybe you're not. But for those that are at Remedy, what we deeply desire is that you would become a very, very healthy church member. So why would I do this? It's, because, it's not because I'm trying to throw out some kind of an uh, indictment on all of you and say, oh, none of y'all are healthy. I need for y'all to be healthy, so we're going to do this. That's not the purpose at all. Instead, <coughs> the purpose is that wherever we are, and I think we're pretty healthy, we need to always continually be in the mindset that we can grow and become more, a, more and more of a healthy church member. So um, that's the first reason. For those of you, and this, is, this may be the case, for those of you that might not be church members, whether it's here or you go to another church and you've never just taken that next step to join, um, I, I'm praying that maybe this series or at least maybe this sermon would be something that would, that would make your mind start thinking that maybe you should. So that's why we're doing um, church membership. Uh, we want those of you that are, health, that are ch- church members to grow in your health. And you may already be a very healthy church member, but hopefully as you see some of the things here, maybe you'll see that there are places that you can improve as well. Um, I should say that I'm starting with a presupposition um, and I'm not going to run down that trail. That, that would be a whole other sermon or sermon series. So I need to let you know what my presupposition is. The presupposition that I'm starting with is that you and I already agree that church membership is biblical. Uh, we're, we're just, we're going to have to agree with that. I'm not going to try to make a case that it's biblical first and then go into this. So we're already agreeing that the idea of church membership is biblical. You'll even see it implicitly as we talk about the text today in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. There's many other places where you can see in the Bible that they were keeping some kinds of roles and membership lists in the Bible or else why would they hold this person accountable in 1 Corinthians 5, etc., etc. So I'm just starting with that presupposition. I don't feel like I need to make that case today. If you want to talk about it, you can find me later and I certainly will do that. But I'm starting with the presupposition that church membership is biblical. I'm also starting with the presupposition that this text right here, Scripture, is the final arbiter in all things and so and it is the authority. So if it says something and we're a Christian, then therefore we have to do it. We don't get to weigh our options and decide whether it works into our lifestyle. We have to do it. So that's my presupposition. I'm not going to make the case. Instead, today and really over the next six weeks, um, what we're going to be doing and what we're going to be talking about are what are the implications of the fact if you're, a, if, if you're a Christian and you're a church member. So I'm not trying to build the case that church membership is biblical. Instead, I'm just assuming that we all agree with that. And therefore, my case today is what are the implications of the fact that you are a church member? If you're a church member, what does that mean? Here or, or wherever. Um, a, a few things to guide us uh, before we get into the text. Um, 
this is, since it's a new series, the first sermon is always kind of like I have to set the table. I've got to put out all the forks and napkins and spoons and everything for the next six weeks. And then we can finally get to, get to work and eat. And so like you can just consider like the table's already set the next six weeks. But I, I need to kind of start with that today. So I'm putting out the plates and the forks and the, and the spoons and everything right now in this kind of stuff. And then for the next six weeks, we're, gonna, we're just going to eat. But I feel like these things are necessary uh, to talk about to kind of let us know where we are and what we mean by church membership and some, some few guiding principles of what I mean um, as expectations of members and what are some expectations of pastor elders in, in our relationship as, as church members together, but also leadership over church members and what that should mean. So uh, a few things that should guide us. The first is uh, we want members. So what do I mean by church members? This is what I mean. Uh, this is not up here on, on the on the, on the screen. This is just some, some introductory matters setting the table. The first thing is that uh, we want all people that are, that are members men, to be men and women that see the scriptures as the final authority in all things. So as I've said, whatever this says, we have to do. And we have to agree that that's, that's what we have to do. We don't get to d- choose whether we like that verse or not. We, we, if it's here, we're going we're gonna to agree with it. Um, the next thing that is going to guide us is that we want men and women, if you're going to be a member, also pursuing Jesus as their treasure. The assumption is, if you're going to identify yourself as a member of Remedy, that you're not just a, a Christian in name only, but instead you also, because you're a Christian, you want to know him deeply, you want to know him intimately, and you want to pursue the knowledge of him, but also as you know him, that you'll pursue him being your treasure. You'll love him as well. I think it's impossible just to know more and more and find out more and more and dig deeper and deeper into information about Jesus and not call, fall radically in love with this man who is our Savior, our Lord, and our treasure. So that's, that's another implication. The next thing is that we'd have men and women that are um, on an ongoing basis part of the ordinances. So what I mean is, of course, baptism would be a one-time ordinance uh, after faith, uh, that you would be baptized, baptizo, immersed. Uh, but also is that every time we practice the Lord's Supper that you would be a part of that. That's an expectation of membership, that you will be an, an active part of the ongoing uh, ordinances that we have. Or if you lead someone to Christ, that you're going to come and you're going to baptize that person you led to Christ with me. So that's how you can be a part of the ongoing baptisms. But we want uh, our members to be a part of that. The next thing is that we want men and women to love one another and practice community. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit as we, as we look at the text today. But that's just an expectation, and that's a biblical, I think, expectation of membership, is that you truly set your heart on the people that God's put in this community, uh, in your community, community group, or in, your, in the community at large as Remedy Church, that you would really set your heart on, on loving them. I, I know that, that that can be tough, um, or maybe it's more tough to like everybody, and you know, because of God, we can love everybody, but that we would really strive to do that, right? We would really strive to be a community that loves one another, and thereby, as we love one another, it spills out into the community we love them. Another thing that's, that this is, I think, one, very important, that guides us as members, we want men and women that keep the main thing the main thing. Secondary issue, issues, open-handed issues, your view of eschatology or end times or how you interpret Re- uh, Revelation, if you're really, you know, all about the left behind Nick Cage movie and you're like, this is the best movie ever, everybody in the world is going to get saved. That's awesome. But for all of us, that's pretty open-handed. Um, so we want to keep the main thing the main thing, which is the gospel, right? The, the fact that Jesus came, died on the cross, was resurrected three days later, and his, his payment was our ransom, and we want everyone to know that. That's the gospel. All the other things are secondary issues. And believe me, I've got some 
really strong opinions on secondary issues, right? I want everybody to see that I'm right and understand that I got the, I, I got the corner on those secondary issues. I've got it. But I realize that they're also secondary issues, and I'm not going to press those things, right? I, I think that the main thing is the gospel. So we want, we want to have a, a, a mindset that permeates us all, that we're unified. We're unified under that. We want to operate in the spirit of the bond, uh, body of unity of peace, or however it says in Ephesians 4, 3-ish, that we... We let the secondary issues be the secondary issues and that the gospel is the main thing and that's our main mindset. But for those that are saved, we're constantly preaching the gospel to them, letting them know that they're a new creation and that Satan has no rule or reign over you, but only Christ does. And so because of that, we're going to live in light of that. But also to unbelievers, we want to preach the gospel to them as well so that they'll come to know Christ. We want the gospel to be the main thing. That's, that's something that's huge for us as, as Christians, our, our members at Remedy. The next thing is that we also take holiness seriously. We're pursuing Jesus as our treasure. And as we're pursuing Jesus as our treasure, there's always um, going to be temptations that are coming. And those that pursue Jesus intimately as their treasure, when they see sin in their life, when it's presented to them that, that sins in their life by the Spirit, that they take that seriously and they want to take holiness seriously and they want to become more Christ-like. Anything that's going on in their life that they are absolutely aware of because they believe that the scripture is the arbiter and the authority on all things and when it and when it reveals things to us that's not something that we can just kind of be you know ho-hum about but we're going to by the spirit romans eight thirteen, do everything we can to put that sin to death uh, we want to take holiness seriously um, the next thing is that we want men and women to be engaged with one another over sin they see in each other's lives now I have to say this always with a caveat because that's, that's, that's dangerous business. This is by people that know you already. This is by people that you already trust. This is by people that love you and you know they love you. And so for those people in, your, in this church that you are growing together with over time and you're becoming more deeper friends with them, you're building a great relationship that when that happens, they are able to come to you and vice versa. Um, they're able to engage you over sin in your life, and you're able to also be the kind of person that can be engaged over sin. So membership means that whenever we, because we all have blind spots, we all are doing things that we know aren't, aren't pleasing to God, and we need, I mean, our, our sanctification is always meant to be lived out in the, in the community. Uh, and so whenever they see things in our life, that we can be the kind of people that can engage others and be engaged. And so that's an implication or a thing to guide us when it comes to membership. And lastly, and I think this, this might be, I think, the best. Um, I said that about every one of them. But uh, that we have men and women that when we fail at every one of those things I just said, when we fail at every single one of those things I just said, that we have men and women that are quick to repent and quick to hope in the gospel and quick to trust in the gospel and say, I'm never going to get it all right. Praise God for the gospel that he has, by his grace, forgiven me of all things. And I'm going to march forward in this sanctification saying, Jesus is my only hope, and the gospel is the only rest I can find. So we're going to fail in every single one of those things, and that the gospel is our only hope. So that's, that's our first things to guide us in regard to what we think membership should look like. But there's also some implications for pastors, for pastor elders. So these are just a couple other things um, that you should know that there are implications for Jack and I. Jack's an elder here. We accidentally wore almost the same shirt today, so his, he looks cooler because he's got a beard. Um, but the... Uh, Here's some, impl- I only wrote four, I could, I could say more, but I think these four kind of cover big picture. Um, because membership, I think, is biblical, and because it's biblical, there are some implications that pastors have to, have to practice um, as they lead and shepherd 
uh, I'm using biblical words, oversee the people that are members. Um, those that have identified themselves and say, yes, I want to be a member. Now, surely this doesn't mean if you haven't said you're not a member, Jack and I are just like, sorry, you're not a member. We, we can't spend any time with you. That's not what we're saying at all. Everybody that comes here that's a part of being a part of this uh, church, we're, we're going to do everything we can to care for you, love you, be there for you, shepherd you, guide you, preach the gospel to you, every, every one of those things. Um, but for those of you that have also said to us, and I want to be a member, and so I am allowing myself to say yes and say, you can be a pastor elder, and I want to submit myself under your leadership and authority as long as you're following Christ, then, then yes. And so that, that allows us, and we have a biblical precedent that says, if that's the case, then we have to take that a whole lot more seriously because you've said you want to be a member. And so our leadership and guidance of you is actually, uh, we're going to face the Lord one day and he's going to hold us accountable the way that we have pastor, elder, shepherd, those that have said that they want to be members. And so while we'll do it for everyone, we also know that the Lord has told us that we will have to give an account to, to the Lord on the way that we actually shepherded those have, that have come to us and said, yes, you're my pastor elder. So here's some things that are implications for Jack and I or any other future elders over the members. First is church discipline. Matthew 18, we know that there's kind of a process, a three-step process, 1815, where if someone's in sin, they go to one another, somebody comes to them, and if they repent, it's over. Matthew 8, 16, they, they bring two or more, and if it, that doesn't happen, then it goes to the church. That, those first two can t- certainly take a long period of time. Verse 15 and verse 16, I allow plenty of time, six, nine, who knows how long months. I mean, it could be six, eight weeks, but it could be six to nine months, depending on the whole process. Everything's a case-by-case scenario. But verse 17 is if they are just absolutely refusing to, uh, to repent and be reconciled to Jesus and trust the gospel, then that's where church discipline would happen. And that's something that Jack and I would have to do. An implication of membership is that if you are going to not pursue holiness, not make Jesus your highest treasure, and choose to go off into a path of sin, then the pastors would have to practice church discipline. By God's grace, we've never had to do that. And by God's grace, Lord willing, we never will. But that's an implication as a pastor that we would have to do if someone is willingly not wanting to pursue Christ um, and is, willing to, is wanting to just continue in sin without reconciliation to God. Another implication for us as pastors is that we would lead in such a way that you would desire to follow us because you're commanded to follow, that we would lead in such a way that you would desire to follow us. It's it's important to me, um, and and Jack as well, that you want to follow and, and be led by your elders, not just you're trying to obey the commandment and it's just like so difficult for you. And I think that's the kind of the, the spirit of, of Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Submit unto your leaders um, as those who have to give an account. Like the spirit is that you would want to do that because you see, hopefully, that with everything that we can by the spirit, we're pursuing Christ in our lives. We're trying to lead our families well. We're trying to lead the church well. And you would want to, to follow us. So an implication is that we would lead in such a way that you would desire to follow us. Another one um, from Acts 20. This is Paul talking to the, the church in Ephesus uh, in Acts 20, verse 28, he tells them, pay care, he's telling the elders, you need to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And so another implication is that Jack and I would pursue Jesus. And as we pursue Jesus, that we would also take care of ourselves, that we would take care of you in times of tragedy and times of difficulty and times of anything that's going on. 
that we would do everything we can to put systems, policies, procedures, and, and any kind of infrastructure where if the church were to grow, certainly we, we couldn't oversee and care for um, intimately 150 people, 200 people. So we would have some kind of leadership um, scenario set up where they could be the front lines and then we would also. But Jack and I and any uh, coming elders would care for the members. Whatever's going on in your life, that we would care for you, we would be there for you, we would shepherd you through those times of pain. And lastly, an implication for us, and you know, we've, we've seen this as we went through 2 Timothy last week, and he actually says this same thing to him in the, that verses in Acts chapter 20, is that we would preach the word to you, that because the Bible is God's word, and it, it's really the best thing for you to hear, less of my opinion and more of what God says um, is the thing that's going to make you grow, is that we would preach the word and that we would also look out for false doctrine that's, that's happening and that we would do our best to put those things to death and, and protect y'all from false doctrine. As it says in, in Acts twenty thirty one, it says, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So he's, and now I commend to you the word of uh, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up um, and to give you the inheritance among those who are being sanctified. So we know that the word has this amazing power in building you up. And we also know in 2 Timothy 4, 2, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. And so uh, an implication for Jack and I and any other coming elders is that we have to be the kind of men that are going to say, no, no matter what the season is, this is our only hope right here. Is, is Christ and his gospel given to us through this word and we're going to preach it. And that's why, we, that's why normally we pick a book of the Bible like 2 Timothy like we just did and just go verse by verse all the way through it. And when we're done with that one, we think about, okay, wh- what does the church need to hear next? And we pick the book that has to do with that and we go into that one and we go through it again. And we try to alternate Old Testament and New Testament so that you just don't think the Old Testament or the, the New Testament is the most important part of the Bible because the gospel's all in the Old Testament too, which is why we went to Genesis during the summer and preached the first 12 chapters and you saw page after page the gospel of Jesus in, in the book of Genesis first 12 chapters so those are the implications for Jack and I. I I know that was kind of a long setting up the table but it needed to be done so that you can understand week by week over these next six weeks what are we trying to accomplish and why are we trying to accomplish this and what are the things that guide us and what are the things that you need to know as members that you should be living out and what are the things that we as pastors that should be living out and how that how that kind of goes together All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, the title is this, is that you'll be a functioning church member. And what that means is um, if you're going to identify yourself as a member of a church that it's not something that's just kind of name only, like, yes, I'm going to be a member of your church, but as as the ongoing functioning part, I'm really not going to participate. I'm just going to be a part of it and everybody else can do the stuff. Um, Actually, that that is a foreign concept to the way the Bible talks. It's just a foreign concept to the way the Bible talks. So what I want to look at today is in these three, these four, these three chapters, um, I want you to see that the Bible calls you to be a functioning church member. That you are actually in the body doing everything you can with every gifting that you can. And because of that, the church is using those things and the church is growing and other people are also growing in their walks with Christ. So I will be a functioning church member. We're just going to jump down to verse 12 and start there in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Uh, but let's go ahead and put up the first one. Let's put up the first one. Um, to function as a biblical church member, uh, and I, this may be a side note, but this, I think this is helpful um, for those of you that ever write stuff. Um, Bible and scripture 
are nouns, therefore they're capitalized. Biblical and scriptural are adjectives, therefore they're lowercase. I see that quite often where biblical is capitalized and, you know, I'm, it's one of my pet peeves. So I just wanted to throw that out there <laughs> to function as a biblical church member. They, they shove that down my head in seminary and so it's, it's in my head. All right, to function as a biblical church member, you must realize that you are a part of the body and absolutely necessary. We may not act or we may not necessarily disagree with that. I think all of us would agree with that. But functionally, the way we live that out functionally that the day-to-day the week-to-week the way that we live that out doesn't necessarily match this it doesn't necessarily match this we need to realize as as the metaphor is given to us here the illustration that paul is going to give us is a body and he uses members of a body that's why we use the word membership um, is because he's trying to point something out to you is that if you're going to be a member you are absolutely a part of it and because of that you're not an island unto yourself able to do whatever you want. But instead, since you've identified yourself as a member, you're absolutely necessary all the time. There's not ever a time, because that's, that's the illustration. Look what he says in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one spirit, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the spirit. Of, of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. This is key. That means we're all a part of one body. And the metaphor is really simple to understand. If the foot should say, I am not a hand, or I do not belong to the body, um, that would not make it any less, uh, I, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? That means if everybody was an arm and you just put all that in some kind of big conglomeration, it would just there'd be a bunch of arms. And we'd be like, that's not a person. That's just a bunch of arms together. Like that, that doesn't, you can't walk around. All you can do is maybe box and be really inefficient. Um, so like, you can see what he's saying is everybody here has a certain unique thing. So um, if one of you is the eye and the other one's like, man, I wish I had the giftings of the eye, but I'm just an ear. You can't get mad at that person. You just need to be who you are and be willing. In other words, if let's put this in more practical terms. If someone's able to teach and someone has the gift of serving and someone has um, the gift of evangelism, then Know your gift and realize that all those gifts that we have function together as one. So instead of spending your whole time wishing that you could be the teacher and you're the evangelist, be the evangelist because the teacher needs for you to be the evangelist. And so does the the leadership guy needs you to be the evangelist. And as we all come together and everybody is who they are, not wishing they could be someone else, but accepts that they're the I, accepts that they're the evangelist or whatever you want to say, then the body's going to function much more efficiently. Does that make sense? So whoever you are, and, and, and this is, I think, also important. Um, it would be ridiculous if my hand said, Fudd, I'm going to, I'm going to take off uh, from being your hand, and I'm just going to be here every other week. So every other week, you're, you're just one-handed. It's not going to work, sorry. Um, you have to realize that if we were to take that and put it into the church, that means if you just come every other week, you're literally like making us be like this every other week. That's, that's the I- I- implications that Paul is trying to get you to see. If, if you're both of your eyes said, um, we are members, I mean, we're, we're eyes, 
but both of us are going to be here about once every four weeks, then that means the church is blind for, for, for three weeks in a row. So you've got to realize, just because you may think that you're a lesser part, you don't get to talk, or, or you're not you know, having this on your face, or you, you just sometimes work the kids' area, or you lead a community group, but it's just you know, a smaller community group compared to the others, or you're really artistic, and so you can use your gifts in that, but it doesn't seem to make a big, broad impact, and so I, I'm not going to be here, or just your presence. I mean, just your, your encouragement. You're an encourager, and you're only here every three weeks to, to offer that encouragement. Then the body is walking around without, without that, that piece here. So when we see this, when it says you are a part of the body. You, you need to realize you're a part of it. You're a part of this body. It's absolutely essential. No one leaves the house and leaves their feet at home, right? So whenever you come here, you have to realize that when we gather together, the illustration is saying that we're all coming together and putting together this body to function most appropriately, most efficiently. And so you, your presence is absolutely necessary. Your, your giftings being utilized in the church is, is absolutely necessary. We need for you to know them and use them as much as you can. But the main part I want you to think about is that all the parts are necessary in order to make it a whole. So whatever part you are, whatever part you are, realize that your part makes us a whole, and you have to be here. We, we absolutely need you to be here every time. Look at 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those that parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And with our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. That's pretty amazing. So if you stub your toe, then your whole body has trouble walking, Right? If you cut your finger, then you can't play guitar for a whole week, Jordan. But you see, you get the point. So the whole body is affected whenever something's hurting. So if one person is suffering in the church, the idea is that we're all suffering in the church because we care about you so much. Um, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member's honored, all rejoice together because there's no jealousy. Like, how come they get all the glory? No, no. Praise God, he's doing something in your life. That makes me excited. Um, we would never do that. I don't, well, let me go at 27. Now you are the body of Christ. This is, this is key. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So the first half of that sentence is what I want to key on. The second half will be this next point. But the first point is you are the body of Christ. Every part of you all together makes us a whole. And you gotta, you gotta be, realize that you are an absolute necessary part of it. So what I'm trying to key in on in this first part is this. What I'm trying to really, really show you is that um, all of you together, together is very important. Now, the second point is going to sound like I'm saying something the exact opposite, but I'm not. Um, But until we understand that the, the unity and diversity that we all come together of being something together is important, that's how we're going to understand the second. But being a part of the body, I think this is something for you to think about. Being a part of this body is something that God did first. So the fact that you became a Christian, we believe that God is the one, is the, if you work your way back to the all, how you became a Christian, it, the starting point is always with God. And then 
how it plays out is, is because of us. So the fact that you're a Christian and the fact that you're a church member, it's not like you just, you conjured this up in your mind and said, I will identify myself with y'all as a member. I am, I am the gift to y'all. You, you have to realize like God did all that first before you. And so since God did all that first and further, the gifts that you have are not things that you just did on your own. Instead, God gave those as well. Your participation has already been kind of set by God that you would be as a member and your gifts, he, he's given you the gifts that he, he made you the eye, he made you the foot. You didn't make you the foot. He made you, he decided who you are. And so you have to realize since he's far more wiser than we are, that whenever he puts you together in this body, he has decided already that you would be that and that you would function in that and that you would live in that and that you would, because of that, serve the body in that particular way. So God did all these things. And so we can't take off every other week just because, you know, we don't, we don't want to be the arm. We're the body of Christ. We're something, part of something bigger than just ourselves individually. And we have to realize this and we have to live in light of this. We have to change our patterns if we're not living this way. So let me ask yourself this. What does it mean for you to be obedient to this truth? to realize that you're a part of something greater if you're a part of Remedy Church membership or whatever church you go to, you're a part of, of something whole. You're not an individual in that. It's gonna sound contrary to the next point I make, I know, but we have to start with this first. What does that mean in your day-to-day walk? What does that mean in your week-to-week walk to consider yourselves as a part of the body, as a member of this whole of Remedy Church? What would need to change if you're not living this out properly day-to-day and week-to-week to realize, oh, I am a part of a whole and I'm a part of Remedy Church's whole. And so because of that, um, I need to change things that are happening in my life to really live that out. What would need to change? I don't know the answer to that. You do. But whatever you're thinking of, then you should be obedient to that. All right. Now, as I said, second, the second one is going to sound different. Um, but once number one's kind of set in its proper foundation, then the second one can be understood. We're all a part of a whole. But since we're all part of a whole, we're all different. So now we're going to highlight our uniqueness. Now we're going to highlight our differences. But we all have to realize we're not just different and kind of set out on islands. We're all a part of a whole, but we are different. So here's the second one. To function as a biblical church member, you must embrace that you are different and you're going to have different giftings from everyone else. Giftings is underlined in red in word, but I think it's wrong. I think it's the word. Um, uh, it says it's a typo, but I, I disagree with it. Uh, you are different and have different giftings from everyone else than, and then work together. So to f- function as a biblical church member, you must embrace that you are different and have different giftings from everyone else. And when you realize that, then you all must now work together. So in verse 27, we looked at the first half and that kind of helped us with number one where it says, now you are bodies of Christ. And now the second half says, and individually members of it. So once we set in the foundation that we're all a part of one big whole, and that really the most important thing is this one body, now we can really start talking about and celebrating and understanding our uniqueness and our differences. And those things can be, can be highlighted and great, but not because we're trying to take the spotlight, but because those things are what make up the whole those things are what make the whole so great, not us individually so great. So this means basically in a nutshell that membership means that we're different, but even though we're different, we still work together. We saw it in this illustration in 1 Corinthians 12 where there's eyes, there's ears, there's arms or whatever. Here what I'm trying to actually point out to you is that you have 
Um, you have some things that are very unique to you that no one else has in the church. You have some things that um, we're trying to highlight your individuality, not because we're trying to make you awesome and it's all for your glory, but instead all those individual and, and unique things about you when put together with everyone makes this body quite unique and will function very well. So we're not wanting everyone here to be cookie cutters. We don't want every person at Remedy to just look the exact same and have the exact same giftings and do everything the exact same. Um, that tends to, those churches tend to run down the legalism route and they tend to all just demand that everybody looks the exact same way, does the exact same thing. Certainly, if there's sin in your life, we don't want that. But whatever personality you have, we want those things to be, to be amplified and used for the glory of God. And so if you are an eye or you are an ear or whatever it is, embrace that. Embrace the gifting and embrace that individuality because that unique thing you have helps the body to grow. Let me, let me be maybe a little more direct. I think this is, because sometimes when you just stay in the metaphor, it's not as quite as it clear. So if you can write, I mean, really write well. Um, I envy you, but if you can write, that's a gift. If you can cook, if you can make music, if you can encourage, if you can teach, if you can lead well, if you know how to pray for long periods of time, which we all probably could learn that. If you know how to um, practice evangelism, if you, were, if you were given the gift of evangelism or, or whatever else, you know, you can look at Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 for the lists, and I don't think those are necessarily exhaustive lists, but we want you to use those things a lot, a whole lot. We want you to know what your giftings are, whatever it is, and use those as much as you possibly can because the whole idea of gift, giftings and spiritual gifts or your uniqueness as arm ear is not just for your own personal growth. Yes, there's part of that. But the whole reason God has given us gifts is so that we would bless the body and we would get to see everybody else grow. That changes things. To know that God has specifically given you the gift of evangelism or teaching or hospitality or whatever, knowing that whenever you exercise that, the rest of the people in the church literally grow more spiritually because you're using that. That encourages me. Now, that's not always the most visible thing. Like, you're not going to see it on Thursday and then the person is going to call you on Friday and say, I am like five degrees more like Jesus now because you made me a meal yesterday. Thank you. Like, it's likely not going to work like that. But it, th this is the Bible. Like he tells us, the reason why he's given us gifts is so that the body will grow. It's for the e equipping of others to grow in their faith. So... The reason why you have that, we want you to highlight that and we want you to realize that your giftings are absolutely essential because they make the body grow. Let, let me show you in verse 26 um, where I think you can see that. Now, verse 26, as we read before, um, can be understood in one way. And it's kind of the most transparent, obvious way where it says, if someone suffers, all suffer together. So um, if someone, a family is experiencing suffering, just unbelievable suffering and we know them because we are told that we're supposed to love them and we actually do love them when you suffer i suffer and, and so that's kind of one way to 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 think about that verse and i think it's correct and i think it's straightforward as a pastor um i certainly probably feel this a whole lot more than you uh some days I'm, I'm shedding tears with people in their lowest of lows and the next day somebody's having something awesome and I'm over here and I'm rejoicing with them and I'm on the highest of highs. And so it, it can be, you know, as a pastor, you can kind of see the, the ups and downs of the church maybe more intimately than most people. And so I, I can see that. But 
as you know these people in the church and you're, you're experiencing those things, then you also uh, are part of that. You, you can understand if someone suffers, I can suffer. But um, I think verse 26 can also be understood in a different way um, and apply more to what we're talking about. How the body can suffer. Um, the other way I think you can understand is when you don't do your part, when you don't live out your giftings and whatever God has given you, when you don't do that, then the body suffers because of it. An unintended consequence of your lack of practicing the spiritual gifts you have, when you suffer by not using your spiritual gift, the entire body suffers because you're not using your spiritual gift. And when you do use your spiritual gift, the body is then thereby blessed by it, and we all can rejoice because we're all being lifted up. I think that's also a very valid way to understand this text. And so the body suffers, literally suffers. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is suffering of not using their gifts, then the entire body literally suffers because you might be refusing to take your gifts, your unique contributions that God's given you, and blessing the church with them. No matter how inconsequential, no matter how small you think they are, the body will in some degree suffer because of it because you're not using those to bless the church and see Christ be glorified in the body. I think it's a very valid way to understand verse 26 in light of the entire context of him talking about um, eyes and ears and how they all function together. It's not like 26 is thrown out and say, and if someone suffers, we suffer. But instead, in light of the whole context, it seems to fit the perfect context, which is the body suffers if you don't, if you don't do this. And Paul makes the same case in in Ephesians 4, uh, I think it's 16. The body grows as every member functions properly. The body doesn't grow if they don't. So... That's the second one. Now, the, this third one is interesting. If you're familiar with 1 Corinthians whatsoever, um, the, the, the whole layout, chapter 12 kind of gives these giftings and it talks about the body. And chapter 14, he comes right back into giftings again and talks about kind of what it looks like in, in worship services, etc. But then you would, you would think that chapter 13 would kind of be thrown away and 12 and 14 should go together. Spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts, works and services. But instead, he separates these things out and takes chapter 13, which you're all familiar with because you probably had it read at your, at your wedding, and he puts it right there in the middle and highlights it, the love chapter. And it's no accident. It's no accident whatsoever that the love chapter sits right there in the middle, sandwiching together these ideas of gifts and kind of launches out, I think, and, and sh- you know, if you would, like a volcano and spews out onto these other two chapters on both sides and says, the only way this is going to happen is if you love one another. I think it's pretty interesting, and I think it's by by no accident whatsoever, that Paul decided to put the love chapter in between spiritual gifts and what proper membership would look like in the local church. And so you're probably very familiar with these these verses, but I, I still want to look at it. So the third one is this. The third one is this. To function as a biblical church member... All we say and do must be, it should be must be based, or it could be is based, on a biblical foundation of love. All must be based on a biblical foundation of love. So it's not just some kind of Hollywood love. You know, Hollywood love is is insane. They say, you know, I love you, and then I love cheeseburgers. And so you're like, you love me like a cheeseburger? Like, what are you talking about? So what I'm talking about is like, biblical foundations of love. So when we talk about love, we understand there's a whole lot more than just saying, I equate my love to you to be equal to a cheeseburger um, or Krispy Kreme. So what we're saying is here, biblical love. And so most of the ways that of the TV shows or of uh, 
uh, of movies does not define love in this, this particular fashion. There's always conditions. But uh, you may be very familiar with this, but I want to take this chapter, at least the first eight verses, and, and read how God talks about love. Even though I know you've heard it many times. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. That means if I am very eloquent with the way I speak, and I can say things that sound like um, angels say them. I mean, amazingly eloquent with the way I say things. They sound extraordinarily like God. But then he says, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I want to grab the sticks and just bang the, the cymbals right now and try to talk to you and see if you can hear me. <laughs> like you, I, I really want to. I may do that second service. But the idea is, like, if I'm just banging that cymbal right here and I'm trying to talk to you, all you're thinking is like, what? what is he saying? What is he saying? And that's the whole idea. If I'm saying all these eloquent things about, uh, and, and they sound so godlike, but the way I live my life is just awful and it doesn't look like I love you at all, all you're hearing is just crashing symbol, and you're not hearing the overflow of the way I'm living my life and, and expressing love to you. You know this most um, intimately in your marriages, right? The way that you can see that right away is in your marriage. If you say you love your wife, you say you love your husband, but you never serve and you always want your way and all that kind of stuff, then he or she can see straight through that junk, right? And it's like, you're just a big clanging symbol. Don't use that in your... In your talks tonight that might be mad, but don't call them like the new, hey, you're just a clanging symbol. Um, that probably won't go over well, but you know what I'm saying. And notice it says in verse two, we're understanding love. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, so you're crazy smart and all knowledge and have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. Uh, way is this, if you have all your theology right, and you don't have love, you have none of your theology right. That's the way to say it. Notice what he says here. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. If you're a martyr for Jesus and you're you're not doing it out of love but of self-promotion, you you gain nothing. These next few verses are extraordinary. Love is patient. Okay, I'm already convicted. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast in it. It doesn't want first place over someone else. It always wants Jesus to be first place. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Put this in the context of your church membership and how you... How you operate, this, that's how Paul wants us to read this. How you operate as a church member. Love is patient with your community group and kind to them. Love isn't envious, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. No, 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 I want to do this because that's what I want. It's not irritable or resentful. The, the resentful, um, by the way, if you're familiar with the NIV, if you grew up reading NIV like I did, you have a different, like, that's not, I always thought it was record wrong. So I went and looked it up. Um, verse 5 where it says resentful is actually a, a lot of Greek words and um, it can be translated as does not count up wrongdoing or keeps no record of wrongs or the NASB, maybe the most wooden accurate uh, translation, does not take into account a wrong suffered. So something's been done to you 
you don't harbor it, hold on to that, and you're like, okay, next time you do something wrong, I'm going to bring it back up again. I'm keeping records of your wrongs right here. Like, so it just kind of brings it in as, in verse 5, as resentful. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the ESV gets it wrong here. <laughs> the other translations, even the NIV, I think gets it a little bit more accurate. That, it's killing me right now. Um, but, but it doesn't keep record of wrongs. If you've experienced suffering, you're not, you're not holding that. Man, imagine what your marriage would look like if you didn't keep records of wrongs suffered. What would our church look like if you didn't keep records? This is what love is. Um, and it sounds pretty Christ-like. He, he died on the cross for us, and therefore all of our sin was put on him on the cross. Therefore, the record of our wrongdoing has been nailed to the cross, and now we are completely made righteous. Keeps no record of wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things. I mean, love bears all things. That's amazing. That's amazing. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So when we're talking about the context of church membership here, to function as a biblical church member, all we say and all we do is based on a foundation of love. The way that the Bible defines love, not, you know, Netflix, right? So we need to, maybe you need to live in verses one through eight, um, for a long period of time to really start thinking about what this kind of love in a church context would look like and how you can start loving the people in your church like this. All right, so there's one more, and uh, this one won't take too long, but I think that, I think it's helpful. Um, a, a biblical, to function as, as a uh, biblical church member, you must use all your spiritual gifts to keep the main thing the main thing, which is gospel proclamation. Before we go into number four, let me... Let me, I, I just feel compelled to, to ask this question this way. Um, because really looking at the biblical definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13 um, likely brings some conviction. And so first question is, where are you not practicing this kind of love? Who are you not practicing this kind of love with in your family and in your church? But then se- the second thing has to be said with it so you just don't you know, die out of, out of guilt trust in the gospel and believe the gospel is way bigger than you think it is and that all of our wrongdoings and places that we need to convict and repent have been forgiven by Jesus and march forward knowing that you are absolutely declared righteous now and start living that out as hard as that process of change might be. Who are you not loving well right now the way the Bible defines love and how can you start? As painful as that is, as many times as they may have done you wrong, how can you still keep no records of wrong and love them in the way? I mean, think about how many times we've done wrong to Christ as believers and yet he keeps no record of wrong and still continually pursues us and loves us and comes after us and forgives us and loves us and comes after us and forgives us and loves us and comes after us and forgives us. Who can you do that in your life? Fourth one, to function as a biblical church member, you must use your spiritual gifts to keep the main thing to me. Here in 14, I don't really have time to unpack all this, but basically Paul's just talking about two gifts out of all the many. He's talking about tongues. He's talking about prophecies. And as he's talking about these two, there's been a debate in the church at Corinth, which one's better, 
Tongues is better. We all, if we all speak, speak in tongues, everything would be awesome. We would all be um, speaking in tongues. And he's saying, well, the gift of prophecy is a little bit better. There's lots of places that I could show you where Paul says specifically that he thinks, if you're wanting to know why I say tongues and prophecies, verse 2 he says, one who speaks in tongues. Verse 3, on the other hand, the one who speaks in prophecy. So we know he's kind of putting those things, things together and talking about them. He says in verse 4 that prophecy builds up the church. Tongue doesn't necessarily just build yourself up. Verse 5, he says, but I want you to speak in tongues. But even more so, I want you to speak in prophecy. There's, there's other places in this chapter where he clearly is trying to help us see that prophecy is a little bit more important than tongues. He's not diminishing tongues. Um, and that's a whole other sermon. But, uh, but he's saying that prophecy is more important. He says in one place, I think it's verse 19. Yes, nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words in my mind in order to instruct others, that's prophecy, um, than 10,000 words in a tongue. If I had the choice to say just five words and it'd be prophecy and 10,000 in tongues, I choose the five of prophecy. Like that pretty much means to me prophecy is like pretty awesome, right? Um, so he's saying that he thinks that that's the thing and he's kind of putting these two together and then as you keep going, he, he says basically that uh, the reason why he wants prophecy to be spoke over tongues is when you get to verse 24 and 25 this is why this is why because it's not just about the church being built up but it's also about a bigger thing that we can all think about keeping the main thing the main thing the gospel look what he says in 24 he's he's talking about what's happening if if an outsider comes in and they're doing tongues you can see what he says in 23 if an outsider comes in when the whole church is together and he comes in he'll say aren't you out of your minds you're all speaking in tongues i can't understand a word you're saying um but after that, in verse 24 and 25, he says, but if you're speaking prophecy, then this is what's going on. But if all, if all prophesy, which is basically just taking the word of God and speaking it in a contemporary setting where it's true and it changes the way you think about God and changes the way that you live and makes you hope in the gospel more. It's kind of a better way to say it. Um, an unbeliever or an outsider comes in. What happens in 23 is he thinks you're out of your minds. But with prophecy, when he comes in, look what happens here. He's convicted. He's called to account. He sees that he's a sinner. He's convicted by it. He's called to account because of his sin. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. He realizes that he's a sinner and he makes this known in some kind of public fashion. Um, And falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that as a God really among you. So what we can see here is in the gifts of membership and the gifts of prophecy and the gifts of all these things, spiritual gifts and how we're operating. We want our gifts, our, 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 our membership as a church body to come together to keep the main thing the main thing, which is we want that to happen. We want gospel proclamation to happen so that people come to know Christ and those that are Christians are built up in their faith. So this fourth one, we talk about to function as a church member. You use your spiritual gifts to keep gospel proclamation both to believers and unbelievers, the main, the main thing. Certainly gifts can be used for tons of other things, whatever it is. So whenever you cook something and practice hospitality and you make an awesome meal for everybody, it's, it's not just so that everybody thinks, wow, you're awesome at cooking. I mean, <laughs> I know that you, you are, and that's awesome. But in that, you have a chance to also, right here, gospel proclamation. Prophesy and however you can, like, it doesn't have to be perfect. Praise God, because we have the Holy Spirit that takes our words and takes it to their soul. But every gift you use is for gospel proclamation. From teaching to hospitality to whatever, 
your, your, your gifts are. It's all about keeping the main thing the main thing. So why do this? Why I talk about church membership is because we all can become more healthy. And as we all become more healthy members, we can, by God's grace, see people convicted, called to account, the secrets of their hearts disclosed. And I would say both members and unbelievers, although he is certainly using just unbelievers here, falling on their face, worship God and say, there truly is a God. He exists and he's here among you. And we say, yes, his name's Jesus. And he died on the cross for our sins. And if you repent of your sin and trust in him, you will be forgiven forever. As you read this, if you don't know Christ, um, I invite you to think about your relationship with God, whether it exists or not, and say, have I ever done this? Has this ever happened to me? Have I ever had a moment where not just whether I was living far away from Jesus for my whole life or maybe I grew up in the church but no one's ever told me Christ died on the cross for my sins. Therefore, as Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth and believe that Jesus is the Lord and, con- and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I want to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And I want to have that moment where I've done that so that I can be a believer. Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Come into my life, forgive me of my sin, and now I'll walk the rest of my life as a believer, treasuring you. Has this happened to you? For those of you that are Christians, that are church members, are you using your gift to see this happen? Tom Rainer, in this book that we're we're reading, in this chapter you're going to read this week, in, in chapter one, he says the concept, I love this, it's kind of straightforward. He, he, he's kind of a straightforward guy. He doesn't have many pages, so he's pretty straightforward the whole time. But he says, the concept of <clears throat> an, an active church member is an oxymoron. The concept of an, an active church member is an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. If you're not active, you're not a church member, even though you think you are. Because what good are you? Like, the whole point that Paul is making is, you have, to, you have to operate and function and give to the body or else you're not a church member. You're just out there by yourself. So are you functioning then? Are you functioning as a church member? Not just saying you're a church member, but functioning as a church member. You must function as a church member. Give your time, serve, minister to people, evangelize the lost study, bless others. I know you're like, that's a lot of stuff, bud. Just pick one of those. (laughs) Just pick one of those and work on that for the next year. That's okay. God's perfectly fine with that. Just just pick one. Jesus isn't mad at you because you don't have it all together. I mean, none of us do. So are you a functioning church member? And if you're not, then be one. Let us help you. Let us walk beside you and and guide you through that. This is, this is being said to help you become a healthy church member. Not to beat you over the head with the Bible and make you feel bad. That's, I'm, I'm, I got all kinds of stuff I got to work on, right? So we're going to worship now. And if you see places that you need to grow, maybe you just need to sit and think and pray for a little while. But maybe you need to stand and give God all the glory and say, Jesus, thank you for making me a church member. Thank you for letting me be a part of a church. I know I've got places I need to improve, but you deserve all the glory. You deserve all the honor. And yes, I want to function as a real church member here and use my giftings to see the church grow.
I'm going to pray and then we'll worship together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this time. I pray that you would be with us now as we worship together. We pray that you would be glorified and honored through all this. I pray this in Jesus' name.